Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Before we begin, a note from our sponsor. I'm Richard Jacobs, Executive Director of the nonprofit Finding Genius Foundation and host of the Finding Genius Podcast. In late 2016, I was rear-ended at 65 miles an hour by a truck on the highway, which sent me off-road into a ditch. The impact of the collision gave me a concussion and other injuries. At the hospital, a CT scan showed that I had thyroid nodules, which turned out to be cancer. It was then, when I had a biopsy in my neck, that I realized, even if I was a millionaire, I wouldn't want a second or a third biopsy due to the pain and the invasiveness of it. And appointments at that time for thyroid experts were three to six months out. And I was worried about dying now, even if that was irrational. So because of this, I've decided to raise money to conduct a literature review on steroids, on the causes of anxiety and depression, a condition that affects well over 50 million people in the United States and hundreds of millions worldwide. Our goal is to create a codex, a guide, that reveals all possible treatments for anxiety and depression for people that live with the condition or for loved ones that have it, as my wife and my son do. To find out more about our fundraiser, visit FindingGeniusFoundation.org and click on Current Initiatives. And now, to our guest. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. Today I have two guests. I have Barry Strip, Ph.D., He's a professor of medicine, director of the Lung Stem Cell Program at Cedars-Sinai Board of Governors Regenerative Medicine Institute and the Bram and Elaine Goldsmith Chair in Gene Therapeutics Research. I also have John Mahoney, Ph.D. He goes by Jed. He's head of the stem cell biology team at the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation Therapeutics Lab. So, Barry and Jed, thank you for joining the podcast. I appreciate it. Hi, thank you. Yeah, Barry, if you would go ahead and tell me about your, your background a little bit and your research. Yes. Um, so I, I started out as, a, as a, a graduate student with interest in respiratory viruses, actually trying to determine mechanisms of virulence for respiratory viruses. And this really led to an interest in, in lung biology. And subsequently, I did post, a postdoc really exploring the cell and molecular biology of, of lung, lungs and lung epithelium. And that delved into the area of stem cell biology and regenerative medicine. And this was around about the time, actually, that Dr. Francis Collins positionally cloned the CFTR gene. And of course, this is the gene that is responsible for, you know, which when defective is responsible for causing cystic fibrosis. And, and that obviously was a, a major impetus behind uh, the work that we were performing at that time. And, and we've continued in, in that direction. Okay. And you, Jed, uh, tell me about your research. Yeah, sure. So um, I started off uh, doing cancer biology um, and studying the expression of different oncogenes in uh, lung tumors and comparing that to normal lung tissue. And that's when I first started to observe the different cell phenotypes of the lung and the kind of the beautiful complexity of the of the lung tissue itself. 
when I uh, went through grad school, I did my uh, PhD in developmental lung biology. So I watched where all these cell phenotypes came from, the molecular pathways that regulated their specification. And then my postdoc was in uh, repair and regeneration of the lung. So I've basically been studying the lung since my uh, beginning of my academic career. Right now, I run the stem, um, the stem cell group at the uh, CFF, and we have a, a pretty wide variety of uh, research that we do. But mostly what we're trying to do is understand, you know, directed differentiation approaches to the airway epithelium from reduced pluripotent cells, and whether those can be used to model CF for the lab for discovery small molecules, or if those could be used in a therapeutic capacity um, with a cell-based therapy. So um, this study was actually a, a major part of us trying to define our targets. Where are we going? So what happens in cystic fibrosis in a person's lung? You know, in the CF lung, um, what, what happens is there's a there's an ion transporter that's CFTR. It's actually the, the gene that's mutated. And that releases chloride ions into the lumen of the lung, which then allows water to follow behind it. And when you disrupt that ion channel, then what ends up happening is that the, the, the mucus, the protein in there doesn't get hydrated well enough. It becomes very sticky and it becomes very difficult for the lung to clear that mucus. And that leads to plugging events. So you can have an actual airway get plugged by this mucus which means pathogens get, get a, an environment where they can thrive. And that leads to a ton of lung damage and ultimately is one of the most important uh, cases of morbidity and mortality in the CF community. So the chlorine that gets into the lung, it reduces the ability of the, the lung tissue to be hydrated properly or does it bind to the water and make does it acidify the lung at all? Does it make any HCL or what happens? There is actually, it actually also transports bicarb as well, or sodium bicarb as well. But it's, it's chloride. It's the chloride ion itself that's being, uh, being transferred into the lumen of the lung. And then it's the process of diffusion to basically dilute those chloride ions to the appropriate level that, le- uh, that allows for that hydration of the mucus. And that's defective, leading to that stickier mucus in the CF lung. So are people looking at um, genetic engineering approaches where you'd, you know, knock out the gene that's responsible for this or up or down regulated? Uh, yeah, I, that's exactly the approach. I mean, we're, when we look at the CF landscape, there's quite a d- diverse population of uh, variants of the CFTR gene. And each one of those has, you know, uh, a different cause for why the dysfunction of that, of that transport or that, that channel is there. And so it does low hanging fruit for us when it comes to that genetic therapy or cell-based therapy, because we know exactly what gene is, is disrupted. And in a lot of those, we know exactly the mutation that's causing that. So it's a single gene and often just a few base pair changes that we could make, which we would hope would be corrective of the disease. So what are some of the approaches that you guys are taking? You're trying to model a CF lung using what induced pluripotent stem cells that you differentiated the epithelial tissue? Correct. Well, that's, that's one approach. There's many different approaches. Um, but one approach that we, we do in my group in particular is, yeah, we do that directed differentiation to the airway epithelia. We have patient-derived material that we can look for small molecules that will either lead to opening of that channel more, or we have um, uh, gene-corrective advances that we're trying to test in the lab to see, is, is this the right guide for CRISPR and Cas? Is this the right location? Can we can we cure multiple of these variants at the same time? You know, these are the approaches that are going on in our group right now. And, and just to, to add to that, um, of course, many people with cystic fibrosis present with lung disease, and that is probably the, uh, the disease that most associate with, with cystic fibrosis. But really, it's a disease that impacts um, uh, epithelia in all mucosal surfaces. Um, so the ability to transport salt in the form of so- sodium and chloride 
um, and other electrolytes, that is the driving force to hydrate the epithelia. Um, so all of these mucosal surfaces have some sort of fundamental defect in, in, in patients with cystic fibrosis. So from the, from the standpoint of disease modeling, it becomes very important to, uh, to, to basically look in a variety of different tissues, not only the lung and cystic fibrosis lung disease, but in the pancreas, for example, in the, in the gut and, uh, and in other tissues as well. So you mentioned that you're comparing, I guess, healthy tissue to what cystic fibrosis affected tissue or what, what, what kind of tissue comparison are you doing? So I want to ask you a question about it once I understand. Well, so it, I, it depends upon, you know, what, what the, what the uh, model is that, that is being evaluated and what, what the goals of that model might be. And I think it kind of brings up a, another very important issue, and that is that, um, you know, associated with our study, we, you know, we, we were fundamentally just trying to define changes to the epithelial lining of airways of the lung um, associated with cystic fibrosis lung disease. And of course, the fundamental defect in these patients, as we've said, is, is a, 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 an electrolyte transport defect resulting from mutations in the CFTR gene. But what we were able to show is that there are changes in the composition of the epithelium that may be secondary to, to, to this electrolyte transport defect and might also contribute to disease. So when it when to so to really answer your question, we're, we're interested in modeling the epithelium, and we can do this using either organoid-based um, culture models, or we can use what we refer to as air-liquid interface cultures, where we can actually grow conducting airway epithelial cells on a, a permeable membrane at the air interface, which allows them to differentiate to generate a well-differentiated epithelium that is really quite similar not identical, but it's similar to that that you have in the, in the airways of the intact lung. If mucus builds up, I would think you, know, you have a very radically different microenvironment yes. that again attracts bacteria, but then it would also attract subsequent phage activity. And I know that mucus membranes also do contain you know, various viruses that are protective. So in your modeling, are you accounting for the microenvironment of you know, mucus plugs and all that stuff? And what, what, what's been observed there? Before we continue... I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click on Support Us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click support us today. Now back to the show. Standard models that we do right now uh, usually are devoid of uh, inflammatory compartment, the, the immune system in, in general. So they're usually uh, isolated epithelial measurements that are going on. You know, one thing though that I'd like to, to just discuss though is that, you know, Originally, or not originally, but the, the patient population is really dominated by, uh, you know, gating mutations, this Delta F508 mutation, which is a processing mutation. And that's over, you know, 
80, 95%, uh, 90% of the total variant population. And that variant population actually has some really efficacious drugs that have come out recently for it. And those drugs bind to CFTR, the ion channel itself, and actually correct its, uh, correct its folding, making an appropriate channel, or it actually leads to opening of that channel to allow a little bit more chloride to efflux over time. What we're looking at now, though, is that final 10% of the population that don't express any of this protein. So the whole entire landscape of the CF biology is changing now. We're not looking to get a specific binder of the CFTR protein itself. We're now looking, how can we change gene regulation? How can we change uh, the sequence of the gene to produce that protein that we might need to potentiate or correct its mutation on? So the models are actually becoming far, far more complex. Before, when we were doing the small molecule discovery, and this is done at, at Vertex, they were looking at you know, overexpression models with that protein and saying, how can we open it more? How can we get more signal from it? Now we have to go and look how do we regulate this gene? How do we increase read-through in a, in a PTC or a premature termination codon? So the disease landscape is changing and those models have to come and change with it as it becomes more complicated and more complex for the, the biology to take on. Are there, is there any way to encourage uh, epigenetic changes, you know, up or down regulation that would persist, you know, or, or to help clearance of mucus and help get the lung back in better shape? You know, we, I don't think that's an avenue that we're, we're going after at, at this point in time. And Barry, you can, you can speak to this as well. But um, in particular, we have such a well-defined target. Uh, and, and that is the gene, CFTRR gene. And we know exactly where the majority of the defects in CFTR are. So we're not looking for epigenetic changes. Instead, we're looking to target the appropriate cell that could have a long-term durable correction that would then produce those luminal sulfates over time. So in this study, that's what we were trying to do. We were trying to ask the question of what is different between a control lung or a lung that had no known evidence of chronic lung disease versus a lung that's at the end stage of CF. And what we wanted to ask were a few different really important questions. Who expresses CFTR? right? And what is a specific extracellular expressed ligand on a basal cell or the progenitor cell of that airway that we might be able to utilize to target for gene correction or target for, for a, uh, you know, gene therapeutic approach? Would a traditional viral vector to, you know, go into the lung and affect the cells of the lung work? Has that even been tried? Or, you know, has anyone tried to knock out or rearrange or the base pairs that are affected in CF in just the lung tissue? Has anyone... Yeah, and the, those, those studies in the lab have been very, very successful. So if we use the gene editing approach in the lab right now, uh, we do have quite a bit of success in demonstrating almost a complete correction of the CF phenotype, which is that reduction in chloride transmission. But, you know, in the past, some gene therapy approaches have been utilized in CF, but it didn't work out very well. Uh, so we have to come up with a new approach. We have to come up with a new design. We have to get a little bit better targeting. We have to get a little bit more, more specific in our vectors. And those could be viral vectors. They could be lipid nanoparticles. They could be a ton of different vectors. We don't know. And this study is actually a step above that. This is a study where we're trying to ask the question, you know, who should we target? And what is specific about those cells that we should target that we can utilize to get a higher efficacious delivery? So what can we say? What, what can we target on those cells in particular? If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. 
the consortium in which we're, we're, we're part of. So it's a, a stem cell, um, epithelial stem cell consortium that's um, supported by the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation. This is just one wheel in, in, in the cog of a, a pretty, you know, uh, a, a large, you know, clock in, in that um, the CF Foundation has um, established the Path to a Cure initiative that is a half a billion dollar initiative that is really seeking to um, find novel therapies for those 10% of patients that aren't responsive to the current therapy that are available. Um, so, so certainly somatic cell gene editing, um, viral you know, delivery of viral vectors to stem cell populations, these are all um, areas of interest um, that are covered under the path to a cure. And the contributions that we are making to, to this initiat- initiative include defining basics, you know, basically the, the cell types in the airway epithelium that you may want to target with corrective therapies, um, leading to long-term retention of that, that gene-corrected event. Um, so um, it's really part of a, of a large program that is being sponsored by the CF Foundation. In terms of the anatomy of the lung, I would think a dual therapy may work best, so like an inhaled, you know, vapor that contains the necessary you know, viral vectors to affect the cells, but then from the other end of it, uh, something injected into the bloodstream so that it can get to the, you know, the pulmonary exchange, the, um, uh, what are they called? Alveoli, you know, get, I guess, come from the other end because, you know, let's say you had a, a therapy where you breathe something in, it might not get deep enough into the lung to affect everything you need. And then if you go from the other end, the blood end, maybe those two combined therapies would, would be workable for a given vector. So your, your, your question really touches on a very important point, and that, that being, which cell types would you actually want to affect gene correction in? Um, is it in an, in an alveolar epithelial cell, which is where gas exchange occurs, or is it in a, in a conducting airway epithelial cell, which is where you have um, mucociliary clearance of, of, of inhaled particulates, etc., and where this electrolyte transport defects leads to uh, dehydration and, and plug, mucus plugging of the airways, and is actually the, the the latter. So it's the it's the airway epithelium that you really want to be able to target. But no, I think you bring up a really important point in asking that question. And hopefully, well, I think that the data that we have generated through the the, the most recent study that that, that we've published um, really starts to address that issue in terms of defining which cell types express this channel and therefore are responsible for the electrolyte transport that, that mediates hydration of the airway surface fluid. Have people put CF patients in like, let's say hyperbaric oxygen chambers or in environments where carbon dioxide is allowed to be elevated? You know, the inhale, inhaled breath versus the exhaled breath, you know, the inhaled, I guess, would have more oxygen, less CO2, exhaled would have more CO2. Do the lungs tend to have more trouble with the inhaled breath or the exhaled breath? You know, maybe the CO2 acidifies the exhalation and therefore it's easier passage to the lung. I'm just thinking. Yeah, as far as I'm aware, that hasn't, that hasn't you know, that's not one of the therapeutic interventions that has been applied to, to CF lung disease. Um, the, the main, you know, issue that historically has, has been important to address in terms of CF lung disease is mucus plugging and then secondary you know, bacterial colonization of, of the airways. And that's really the, the point at which um, most therapies have been directed. Um, again, with the, the current therapies, that the small molecules that allow o- opening of the, of the defective um, CFTR channel and, and, and facilitate electrolyte transport, they are very effective. So for, 
a fairly significant fraction of those patients with CF lung disease. And, and for that matter, it, it you know, the, the, the advantage of that therapy is that it doesn't only target lung epithelium. Again, it targets the mucosal surfaces in all epithelia that might be effective in CF patients. So, so yeah, they're very effective therapies, but we, we do have to come up with strategies to help patients who, who um, aren't responsive to those therapies. And, and, and that's essentially the areas that we're really uh, tackling in the, the CF-supported path to a cure. Yeah, just to add on to that, you know, the CF Foundation and the CF community basically considers this rare group where they have these nonsense variants of the genes which produce no protein to almost be a completely different disease. When you have a mutated version or a a variant of the protein that either doesn't get sorted appropriately or doesn't open appropriately, we now have molecules which are giving people the ability to live, you know, multiple decades beyond their expectation from, you know, just a few years ago. So it's really quite impressive what we have going there. But the space where these nonsense or this rare population that last 10%, we don't have really much or anything other than just supportive care. And that's where the impetus of the path to a cure initiative came. The foundation very astutely said, well, if we learn how to cure one mutation, we should be able to cure all mutations. So they're putting a significant amount of resource into that understanding of who expresses CFTR, where do we need to correct to have long-term durable stable correction? And then the idea is that we can actually utilize that approach for that other 90%, which already has modulators and therapies right now. So that gives us the ability to, you know, cure everybody and 100% of the population by right now studying that very rare population. Yeah, that makes sense. What, what are the bacteria doing when they're lodging in the lungs? Are they producing interesting metabolites or are they eating the, the mucus or like, what do they do there? Usually it's, it's leads to, you know, chronic destruction, chronic inflammation, which leads to the lung actually fibrosing and scarring. And it is the, the repetitive injury from these plugs that lead to lung infection that leads to scar, which over time reduces the volume of air that a person with CF can exchange. And that will continue precipitously and continue and continue and continue until you become basically unable to, to perform gas exchange. And right now the, 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 the cure or the, the therapy at that point is lung transplantation. And we have quite a few people who have CF who can manage a lot of their other forms of the disease, such as the um, digestive issues where you can take enzyme therapy. But the lung, we don't have enough of a therapy to be able to hold back that chronic destruction of. And so that's why we need to get into the lung and get going in that organ in particular, because that's where the morbidity and the mortality comes from. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's really the, um, you know, the pro-inflammatory aspect of, of bacterial colonization that I think is most damaging in, in, in the uh, airways of these patients. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it really relates to the, the, the uh, lack of hydration and, and lack of mucociliary clearance but it further contributes to, to plugging of airways because you have recruitment of, of um, inflammatory cells that are trying to gobble up the uh, bacteria in the airways. Um, and, um, and yeah, it just, it just further exacerbates the, the uh, airway defect. Well, this might be crazy, but could you somehow induce the bacteria themselves to produce the compounds that you want and they would release it, you know, in situ in the mucus plugs and it would maybe go into the cells and, you know, perform genetic modifications so that they become healthy. So the bacteria essentially are 
causing their own death, but they're the vehicle, maybe through plasmids or other methods that they could transmit the, the necessary components. They could be the vector. It's, it's an interesting idea. Yeah. I, I, I think the, um, what we have to do is to be able to target the primary defect, which is a, a, a cell intrinsic defect in terms of the ability to transport electrolytes. And fundamentally, that's what we have to correct to be able to, um, to, to clear all of the, the mucus that accumulates in, in, in the lung of these patients. And uh, yeah, no, so I, I, they're, they're certainly thinking outside the box. It, it's, yeah. it's an important kind of um, issue, but, but uh, fundamentally co- correcting that cell intrinsic defect, I think, is going to be really important. Well, so what happens when someone has to get a lung transplant? How long do they last? And you know, what are the complications of having that? Yes, that, that, that is, you know, and certainly that, that's an issue that we deal with with many cron- you know, uh, end-stage chronic lung diseases. Unfortunately, after transplantation, the patients have, so on average, the transplanted lung has, has a viability for about you know, five years or so, at which time the patients have to be uh, retransplanted. And that's not always possible, of course. Um, in some instances, you know, the patients can, can survive much longer than five years. But, but uh, yeah, it's, again, it's on, on average, the lifespan is five years after transplantation. So it certainly helps in the short term, but it's not obviously a cure. And uh, there are other issues that the patients then have to deal with. So what do you think is going to be possible over the next couple of years? But what's going to really take, you know, maybe a decade or more in terms of therapies? Well, uh, our hope is that um, we will be able to a- achieve somatic cell either gene editing or delivery of, of, of vectors that, that allow for restoration of normal electrolyte transport, either through, again, um, gene correction of the, of the mutant CFTR gene um, through otherwise uh, enhancing electrolyte transport in these cells. So that might either be achieved by um, gene therapy or another approach that, that we're considering that may be a bit further down the road, but nonetheless, um, uh, orthotopic cell transplantation. So again, with the, the idea that you can derive lung epithelial cells by directed differentiation of induced pluripotent stem cells, there's the possibility that you may be able to introduce gene-corrected cells using that, that type of technology. Um, we're, we're a, a way off from being able to do those sorts of things, but certainly um, the, um, the, the, from the gene therapeutic perspective, the, the, the atlas of cell types and how they change you know, in, in the airways and how they change in TF lung disease, um, this is certainly important kind of fundamental information that is going to be enabling when it comes to developing these novel um, uh, gene corrective strategies. Yeah, any, other, any other commentary on it? Or, you know, again, it's, it's, it's just a long process. There's a lot of components. It's going to be a while. Yeah, you know, the thing that, I, I, that I'd like to add on this is, you know, from the foundation standpoint or from the, from the community standpoint, we really believe that this is going to be a, a curative measure. We know it's not quick. We know it's not today. We know it's not tomorrow. And there's a lot of basic understanding that we need to be able to acquire before we can initiate the translational studies. But proof of concepts are all very promising for us right now. Uh, when we model disease and we correct the gene, it, it looks like we're correcting the disease. Uh, so we really think, you know, we have it written on the wall, you know, until it's done. And so though it might take, you know, longer than the most of the people in the community are, are wanting, and we, we don't want it to take long either. We do think this is a, a direct method for us to be able to have a curative event and, and allow CF to stand for cure found versus cystic fibrosis. So this is, this is a, a large investment, but one that we think will have uh, significant returns. 
Well, excellent. What, what's the best way for people to find out more about uh, both of your guys' research? Well, uh, from from our side of things, you know, we have um, the CFF.org is uh, is a great place to go for anybody who wants to find out more about CF research. And um, they can find out quite a bit about the ongoing projects. They can also find out quite a bit about uh, the standards of care uh, and funding opportunities. Um, that, that Path to a Cure initiative that, that we've brought up once or twice here, you know, that's a rolling path. Um, right now. So you can apply to that funding at any time. There's no specific cycle for that. And you can learn quite a bit about the disease and the research that's going on from that website itself. And, and, and likewise, um, uh, I would encourage those who are interested to, um, to log on to the, the Cedar Sinai Medical Center website. Um, and there you can find out about all the research that is ongoing at Cedar Sinai Medical Center. And, and particularly, you know, in my context, in the the Regenerative Medicine Institute. I'm also part of the Lung Institute. So um, uh, on the websites, we, we outline all of the research that's ongoing. And uh, obviously, we're, we're really interested in trying to translate many of our basic studies to achieve uh, improved patient care. Well, excellent. Well, Barry and Jed, thank you for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks again, Richard. Enjoy. Yeah, yeah thank you, Richard. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.